So I've been doing deals for a long time. I've been making lots of wonderful deals, great deals. That's what I do. Never, ever, ever in my life have I seen any transaction so incompetently negotiated as our deal with Iran. And I mean never. We are led by very, very stupid people. Very, very stupid people. Hello and welcome to the Israel Policy Pod, Israel Policy Forum's podcast. I'm Evan Gottesman. Uh, and I'm David Halperin, Israel Policy Forum's Executive Director. So on Tuesday, President Donald Trump withdrew the United States from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, what's better known as the Iran nuclear deal, and reimposed nuclear sanctions on the Islamic Republic. While the other signatories, Russia, China, France, Britain, Germany, and of course Iran, are so far staying in the deal, the United States exit is placing the agreement's future in question. One person who's definitely happy with Trump's announcement has been uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, Opposition to the Iran deal has been one of of many uh, sources of common ground between Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu going back even before uh, the 2016 election. But any kind of celebration from the Israeli side may have been tempered by what happened on Wednesday night when Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard troops fired missiles at Israeli positions in the Golan Heights. Israel responded with dozens of airstrikes against Iranian targets in Syria in what was the largest wave of attacks in Syria since the 1973 Yom Kippur War. There's been no Iranian fire since, but the situation is far from settled. So to help us understand what's going on and where this week's events could take us going forward, we're joined by Ephraim Sneh. Ephraim is a retired brigadier general in the IDF, served in the Yom Kippur War, Operation Entebbe in Lebanon, served in the Knesset as a minister in numerous governments, uh, uh, notably as deputy minister of defense. Today he's chairman of the S. Daniel Abraham Center for Strategic Dialogue at Netanya Academic College, and most importantly, he is an old and dear friend of the Israel Policy Forum. Earlier this week, Ephraim sent me an email with some thoughtful points about Trump's withdrawal from the Iran deal, and I thought we just have to get him on the line for a podcast. So Ephraim, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So Ephraim... Going back to 2015, when the uh, nuclear deal was originally negotiated and signed by the world powers and Iran, uh, you were opposed to the deal back then. And as I understand, you still are. What was your case against the agreement? The agreement gave unlimited financial resources to the Iranian regime to implement their subversive, aggressive uh, policy in the region, unlimited uh, capacity, which they didn't have before that. And more seriously, the agreement gave legitimacy to the Ayatollah's regime as an important, more than equal partner in deciding the fate of the, of the region. The, the result was that when it came to Syria, they were. They are not direct neighbors of Syria as Israelis, but they were always sitting around the table. The agreement le- 
Union became more aggressive, more active everywhere in the region, more supportive of terrorism, and uh, for us and for the region, it's very bad. So your opposition was grounded largely in the the non-nuclear activities, the Iranian support for uh, militant terrorist groups around the region, and and the relief that they they got were able to to this, translate you know, into you know, support. The, this is another point which I didn't tell you. Though it was apparently the, the, the main point of the agreement, it, it postponed the pace or the deadline of acquiring a, a nuclear weapon by the Iranian, but it still kept them the ability for a breakout in roughly eight to ten years from now, and the mechanism of uh, of the supervision of inspection were not sufficient. There were many holes in this piece of cheese, and the Iranians, they are the experts to know how to use it. So, on one hand, it gave them huge opportunities, financial and political. On the other side, the limitations were not as tight as it's supposed to be. This was my criticism against the agreement. Yeah, so uh, proponents of the deal would argue that the the inspections that are in place are, are certainly better than not having a, a deal at all, and now we face the prospect of the deal unraveling altogether. So what do you think of, of, of Trump's decision to withdraw? Uh, are you in favor? Look, it's, it's, it's a very complex answer, and I would try to, to explain why. In no doubt that the withdrawal of the United States and the sanctions which will follow will make the Iranian regime weaker with less financial resources. It will cut many important uh, Western companies from trading with the RCG, with the regime. It will cut, I hope, many investments, not Chinese, not Russian, but Western investment in the oil and gas uh, industry. It will limit the ability of the regime to pursue its uh, aggressive and expensive and subversive activity. This is the positive side. But so so you sa- said that the, that the deal would weaken the regime, but do you think it's also possible that it could embolden the more hardline elements by sort of vindicating it, it, their attitude towards the, the West? This is one of the main possible result that we should be very, very concerned about. If the result will, now we are speaking about the downside, if as a result the hardliners will get stronger against the relatively more moderate like President Rouhani, and they will decide to enhance the pace of acquiring a nuclear weapon, it will bring Israel to a point where we will have no choice but to strike. Will we do it alone? Maybe. Nobody said, nobody knows. Maybe we will have to face them alone. It's one point. The second, if this measure is connected in some way to a long-term strategic plan to help the Iranian people, the suffering Iranian people, to overthrow this hated regime, it's not known. What about the American commitment in Syria? The president said it's going to, that other people will take care. He's out. After this decision, has he committed in Syria? Will he play a role in Syria? Nobody knows. So 
doesn't help us in the current crisis in Syria, which is the most urgent and most acute issue. So far, fortunately, we get along without any help, and we do it quite perfectly. But to remember our acute problem now is how to keep uprooting the military Iranian presence in Syria. This is now the problem. To remind you that this military Iranian presence in Syria was legitimized by Trump-Putin agreement. So the picture, the, the picture is quite blurred. The, the balance between the benefits and the hard questions which are looming is very complicated. We also have the dynamic where the U.S. pulling out of the deal raises the prospect of the United States and Europe uh, uh, seeing a split when it comes to the Iranian issue. Do you really think that the kind of pressure you would like to see uh, placed on Iran is possible if the United States is effectively uh, levying these sanctions alone without the sort of uh, broad international support we had before this deal was put in place? Look, if there was a joint effort, of course it was better. Maybe even that sanctions on a lower level, but which are fully shared by France and Germany, uh, could be effective. But this was this was a question until the, the, the declaration of the president. Now it's not the point. It's clear there will be no. I don't think it will be a serious cooperation in the next 180 days. I doubt it. And the effect will be uh, achieved exclusively by the sanctions that the United States will, uh, will put on the table. It, it's serious. It's serious sanctions. It's damaging sanctions. But the unity of the West is broken. No doubt about that. But what happens if the European allies aren't receptive to this? Trump has said that the U.S. will sanction countries, businesses that deal with Iran in the aftermath of the U.S. withdrawal from the nuclear deal. Uh, but from the European perspective, they may be seeing this and thinking that they're going to have to choose between their relations with the United States and their lucrative business dealings, and, and perhaps even more lucrative in the absence of the United States from the treaty. Um, Boeing is going to lose their license to do business in Iran. Uh, the French may be seeing this and saying uh, Airbus can fill the can fill the market. So, uh, how do you think the Europeans are going to respond to this? Maybe the good news are that these European companies will hesitate to prefer the Iranian market on good relations with the United States. But it is only one aspect of the entire picture. No doubt that the sanctions will impair the ability of the regime, and this is good. The, the other question is, what will happen immediately in Syria and Lebanon? How will they behave after the blow they suffered on Wednesday, on Wednesday night? And, how, and what Israel should, should do? There are here some imperatives to, 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 to Israel, not only military. Militarily, yes, we have to draw a very clear line in the sand. No Iranian military presence in Syria, period. But there is another issue. Yeah. How to address our the other Arab countries who oppose Iran and they are ready to 
to work together with us, but they can't because the Palestinian issue is not resolved. For instance, to, to, to look on the basis of the Arpis initiative, we can build a very strong military alliance with those countries, with UAE, with Saudi Arabia, with Jordan, with Egypt, but not as long as the, as the conflict with the Palestinians is far from being resolved. Our, our, the policy of our government vis-à-vis -vis the Palestinian issue impairs our ability to build a real strong regional front to contain and to forestall the Iranian, the Iranian danger. So Ephraim, I want to come back to that issue, but before we do, I, I, I want to just get to the, to, to the bottom line here. In your view, the goal of the United States and its international partners is not a better deal, it sounds to me, but is actually regime change. And the question is, uh, we saw regime change in Iraq. Do you really think regime change in a peaceful format is, is, is possible here? Um, you have two differing uh, perspectives. One it, that indicates that Trump is now withdrawing from the deal, raising uncertainty and questions about the possible for uh, uh, the, the need for military conflict at the same time that he's seeking to withdraw from the Middle East. How do you, what do you make of this dissonance? dissonance? David, I dared to use the unspoken words of regime change, which are forbidden in news in your country. But frankly speaking, if there is someone who is serious about it, this is the ultimate goal, to allow the Iranian people, not by steel bombers and B-52s and foreign military invest, uh, intervention, but to encourage the Iranian people to overthrow a regime they hate. This would be the target, I said very clearly. This is the strategic goal, but nobody is bold enough to say it. I don't see here in a series, except of right. words, encouragement to the Iranian people. So what is left is, a, I would say, a doubtful desire to have a better agreement. I wonder if you would have one. You said if there's someone in the United States serious about pursuing a, a strategy towards Iran that, that leads to the, the fall of the Islamic Republic government, do you really think there's someone in the United States who's serious about that? Because on the one hand, you have you have Donald Trump, who who's all over the place. But if you if you could draw any kind of coherent label to his foreign policy, it's this America First attitude, which is certainly not interventionist in the way that would uh, you know would see the United States toppling foreign governments. And on the other hand, you have his his, uh, his national security advisor uh, John Bolton, you know, who's a veteran from the second Bush administration who's all about that, um, and who's apparently been talking about the, uh, the MEK, the People's Mujahideen in Iran, uh, one of the opposition groups trying, you know, seeing if they can help them and, and lay the groundwork for, for bringing down the government. But do you, do you first of all, do you, do you trust Bolton's judgment, given the, his uh, record and the, the record of how the war in Iraq went? And do you think that uh, this administration or any any future administration is serious, you know, about some kind of uh, coherent strategy towards Iran, uh, whether it is the regime change strategy that you seem to support or um, just any other kind of containment uh, strategy. 
Before we run out of time, I promised to come back to the other issue. You had mentioned the need for Israel to form an alliance with the Arab states to revive the Arab Peace Initiative and address the Palestinian issue in, in order to more directly address the Iranian threat. Next week, we have the U.S. Embassy moving to Jerusalem, and we have the protests that Hamas has called for to breach the fence uh, on, the, on the Gaza border. Uh, they're calling for hundreds of thousands in what's expected to potentially be the largest and perhaps most violent protest yet. What do you make of next week? What do you make of the Trump's approach, the Trump administration's approach, not only to Iran, but to the Palestinian file? You also have the start of Ramadan, which always uh, potentially adds a factor there. We are facing a very, very tough week, and I will say to you briefly, in the Gaza border, it's a very, very... Uh, it's a very delicate balance that our troops should keep between a very clear blocking of the border to any kind of penetration with a serious attempt to avoid too many casualties. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy because they are going to wage a huge, huge provocation and we should recruit all our power of restraint and professional military professionalism that it will not deteriorate to something very bad because that's what Hamas wants. This is about Gaza. Very combustible, very combustible situation. About Jerusalem, unfortunately, uh, your president succeeded to unify the Arab world against Israel and America uh, instead of unifying it against Iran. And again, unfortunately, by some positions, uh, the, the Carter administration lost the status that previous administrations had of the honest broker. You can't be religiously and ideologically fully identified with the attitude of one side and to say, I'm an honest broker. It doesn't work. And uh, it's very sad. It's very sad. Nothing good, nothing good will come from the celebration of next week. Only political benefit to, to the partners. Narrow political benefit, not a strategic one. We, we, now, what we need now, and I indicated in my previous uh, answer, we, have a, we must build a joint regional front to forestall the Iranian danger and not by splitting it on ceremonial issue because the substance the, the, the fact that Jerusalem is the capital of the, of the Jewish people I know it from the age of three my, I only will quote you my late father who was born 110 years ago in a state in Poland and he said I 
I knew the name of Jerusalem before I knew the name of my hometown. I don't need approval from anyone else for this, for this very, very profound feeling about Jerusalem. Understood. So your point on, on building a regional uh, alliance on the Palestinian issue to address Iran more effectively, uh, I, I think there are many members of this Israeli government who certainly agree with you. They just think that forming an alliance with the Arab states does not require addressing the Palestinian issue in any meaningful way. We've heard that pretty directly from Avigdor Lieberman, uh, if not Netanyahu himself. What, what do you make of that? Look, uh, with, with all humility, I'm quite familiar with the region and uh, travel in the region. It's a fake, we say fake news, it's fake news. There is no readiness in the outside to be totally identified with Israel and put aside the Palestinian issue. They can give them maybe some advices, but they will not dare to abandon the cause of the Palestinians because it's politically dangerous for them. All those who speak about the silent alliance and the secret alliance, it's stories for domestic consumption, period. An illusion. It, it will not work. Right, and to the extent that any kind of relationship exists, it, it's out of convenience related to Iran. It's not It's not related to the Palestinian issue uh, at all, because there, there's a total dissonance, there's a total dissonance between where Israel is and the Arab states are. To a point, but not beyond it. The Bahrain declaration was very brave, but it's Bahrain, and it would go beyond it. Right, right. It's, it's always in these limited, limited uh, releases. I guess, but in, I guess, I guess that on, on, on Wednesday night, some, some guys applauded to us under the table. Right. So... With with that in mind, and, and, and with the developments next week ahead, we're going to be watching these issues very closely and uh, seeing how what we've discussed pans out. So, Ephraim, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Ephraim, our dear friend, really appreciate it. Uh, wishing you the best and appreciate your sharing uh, your insights with us. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can learn more about Israel Policy Forum's other work online at www.israelpolicyforum.org and follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram. Thanks for joining us. We'll meet again, don't know where. Don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do, till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away. So will you please say hello to the folks that I know, tell them I won't be long, they'll be happy to know that as you saw me go, I was singing this song, we meet again, don't know where. Don't know when, but 
Sunset 